welcome back to the My Hockey Periodical Podcast. Apologies for no shows last week or the show after the expansion draft. My co-host Tommy had some scheduling conflicts. He's not with us today, but I promise this is one you're going to want to listen to because remember last year after the entry draft, we had Will Scouts on who made us much smarter about all the prospects that were drafted. And now he's back again to make us much smarter. I'm very excited to have you back, Will. Oh, yeah, I'm super thrilled to be back. Always, always a pleasure. You, you happy that it's uh, a bit now, this crazy draft where you're watching everything uh, on video? It's done now. You don't have to think about it anymore. And maybe there's on, a real draft next year? In one, on one hand, yes. On the other hand, uh, it's funny. I think, I think I, I don't, I'm, I'm having that moment like Will Ferrell and uh, Ricky Bobby where he doesn't know what to do with his hands. I just don't know what to do. Like I, I, I have like a bunch of stuff to catch up on that doesn't have anything to do with hockey. But I still, I mean... I, I, I know hockey starts again in a month and part of me is dreading it, but at the same time, I can't wait. I, I'm, I always love watching, watching prospects play and love watching the game around the world. I mean, I'm a video first guy, so the video whole thing this year didn't really bug me. Um, but I mean, next year I am hopefully going to be at the draft in Montreal. Uh, so that'll be a very, very interesting experience for sure. It's so much... Well, it's interesting to me because of all the things the NHL does, and I'm about to rant, I apologize, in just a second or two, but (laughs) the one thing that I know this league does better than any other league, and the NFL copied it, is that they took the draft around like a traveling roadshow, and it's always fun. Again, we've talked, Tommy and I have talked ad nauseum about 2014 and 2015, how we were there, and how much fun the draft is. It's a great experience, and if Mm -hmm. only the league could do much more of that correctly. And they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it is interesting. I, I, one thing I've been saying is, uh, to people when, cause you're not the first person to bring this up in a podcast with me, but like, what's interesting is that the, the typically NHL or typically NBA and NFL drafts are very fan first, but the NHL draft seems to be very team first. Like all the teams are on the same floor. They're all sitting next to each other. They take up all the space where if you crammed it full of fans, It'd be really exciting. I think it would be kind of neat if you moved all of them up to like the boxes, you know, you gave them a box and, you know, you had fans on the floor and had everybody in the same building and had the floor crammed full of fans like the NFL kind of does. Cause I feel like that adds to it, but I mean, whatever. I mean, I, I enjoy the NHL draft regardless. And uh, yeah, I mean, but I'm always an advocate for more fun. It's just fun to be in the arena. And I think also yeah. because as, as many people have pointed out, it's that, you know, last day of school kind of feel. It's the breakaway before everyone goes away for the summer and goes in their cottage and you don't hear from them for two months. Yep. And and for the fans, I mean, in most cases, I don't think I've seen any draft where the tickets aren't free. So anybody can go. It's not too expensive. The fans who are priced out of games normally can just go and experience it. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. And I think yeah. that adds to it. And that's why I have enjoyed, and again, 2014 I went and 2015 I went. And I would like to go back if these drafts are anywhere near where we are again. And now time for the rant. We will get to all of the drafting stuff in a second, but this is the first podcast that I have done since everything that happened last week. And that's a lot of things, including trades, including major signings. And we're going to get to all of that at some point. If you want Sam Reinhart takes and the takes on all the Panthers trades and moves, we'll get to that in a future show, I promise. But it's the first show I did since, obviously... As you know, if anybody listens to Hockey, you know how important last Monday was to me and how great it was to see not only someone come out at this level, but that they came out and it seemed like everybody 
knew what they were doing. It was so refreshing because in my mind, my fear was someone was going to screw this up because it's hockey and it was going to ruin a great moment, not just for Luke Prokop, but for all of the people who have wanted this to happen for so long and knew, rightly, that it probably wasn't going to happen because it's hockey and it was great. And whatever you want to say about tweeting or posting nice comments on Instagram, the day was handled so well, even me and my cynicism went, actually, this went better than I thought. And that's credit to, obviously, if you've read The Athletic Story, you know that Brock McGillis and Bain Pettinger, two people who I know extremely well, both of whom I have interviewed and both of whom I have good relationships with, they controlled a lot of this and did so much good work to make this happen, and they deserve immense amount of credit. And everyone followed suit, and it was great, and I was so happy. And I thought on Monday something bad was going to happen. Somebody was going to put their foot in their mouth and ruin it for everyone. And it didn't happen on Monday. But I had to wait until Friday for somebody to do that. And I don't think that it's hyperbole to say that Friday night was probably one of the biggest embarrassments I've ever seen in this sport. And it's not like being a hockey fan is great because you have to deal with all this nonsense that comes along with it when you want to focus on the grace and the glory of the sport. And then you have to focus on all the garbage that comes along with seeing the Blackhawks story and how disgusting that is and knowing that the culture around this sport at times is really exclusionary and it is damaging to people who should be in this sport. And it kills a sport that is so, so, so filled with potential. And you see moments like Friday and you know why. And we're not going to talk about it on this draft merits because there are no draft merits for that. It was a good night and it seemed again that when everybody got to understand how bad the story with Logan Mayu was, that, okay, we're not making the same mistakes we made in 2020. When somebody drafted a player that clearly shouldn't have been drafted, and then it happened, and the backlash was so severe that they renounced the pick, and everybody, you would think, okay, we're going to learn our lesson. This went so badly, there was so much public furor that somebody was going to learn their lesson. And of course not, it's hockey. Nobody learns their lesson because everything lasts for 72 hours and goes away. But this might not. And the way I knew that this was so bad that this is not going away was even the dyed-in-the-wool 200 hockey men types. And I'm using Craig Button as an example. I'm not saying he's one of the horrible hockey men who are part of the reason why stuff like this happens. I'm not saying that, but I'm using this as an example. When he says it shows callous disregard to the victim, you know you screwed up. And it's not just the Montreal Canadiens that screw up. Everybody screwed up. The sport screwed up. You cannot blame one team for this. I don't care that other teams may have drafted him. One still did it in the first round. And that's patently unacceptable. And it is embarrassing to this sport. Anytime it would have been embarrassing. But for me personally, as somebody who cares so much about seeing someone come out and get supported the way Luke was and to see the hope, glimmer of hope, that perhaps somebody in this sport actually understood the meaning of that moment and said we could use it as a catalyst for change and good meaningful change to er not erase but to move on through a future where you acknowledge your problems and you acknowledge the issues with this sport and then they screwed it up. And leave alone the fact that the Blackhawks put a bunch of very good women out there as meat shields for their own screw-ups, which was also disgusting. But the fact that it happened after Montreal did what they did meant that it was lessened. The pain of that was dulled, even though I shouldn't be dulling it. And 
it was disgusting. And when everybody around the league, including the dyed-in-the-wool hockey men, are vehemently angry at what happened, you knew that this crossed the line in a way that I didn't even think, you know, people would respond in terms of crossing the line. And I am going to post something on the Y Hockey Substack about this soon, which says this point. But it was, obviously it pissed me off, but it pissed me off even more considering what happened on Monday. And that really is a shame. And I don't know what Luke is thinking. I would imagine he's probably pissed like everybody else. Because to get through what he got through, to get to the point he got to, and then to see the sport, and all the people who supported him, and all the people who care for him, and all the people who cared for the sport in general, to see then what happened afterwards. It's disgusting, and it feels even worse, all things considered. And I saw a report today that there might be some Montreal Canadian sponsors that could be dropping out from sponsoring the team because of this. Good. It's a shame that Craven Capitalism is the only way that teams are going to learn their lessons and the sport's going to learn their lesson. But by any means, I don't care. And sometimes, and I hate the fact that I have to say this too, sometimes it's a shame that the only way that you're going to create meaningful change is through public shaming. And at this point, there has been enough public shaming to go around and it will continue. The floggings will continue until morale improves in some ways. And I don't want to rant the entire time. And I know, Will, I mean, you, you go through all this work to scout prospects and you go through all of this work and you want to celebrate the good work that all of these people did and all the people who play a huge role in their lives to getting them drafted and all of it's ruined because one team decided to be a little too smart or thought they were being too smart. It's disgusting. And I know you feel that way. I know everybody feels that way. And I apologize for the rant. And I want to say one more thing about this. What Logan Mayu got caught doing is something that is far too common in hockey culture. And when somebody pointed out to me the difference with Logan is that he got caught. Well, the problem is that this is very common and it should stop. It needs to stop. It's disgusting. There's no need for it. I don't, there is no excuse. Horny teenager, it does not matter. There's no excuse for this. Stop treating women like sex objects. And this is not now on the kids because hockey culture is not necessarily a responsibility of the kids. It's the responsibility of the adults in the room. And the shame of it is, is we might see this again. This exact story could come up. And based on the evidence and based on what we know what happens behind the scenes, there's probably a lot worse that happens behind the scenes that we'll never know about. And the fact of the matter is, if it happens again, the NHL should have a mechanism by which players can drop out of the draft. And that needs to have already happened. And the fact that it didn't happen is an absolute embarrassment. But what needs to be said is the next time this happens, this isn't almost on the kids, and although it is a problem of the kids, of course. It's on the adults in the room, and the adults need to be punished. And that means these coaches, these people who run these junior leagues, you need to take responsibility for this. You have no excuse. This cannot happen again. It's not a team, anybody that you're damaging. You're damaging the entire sport. You care, you protect the sport. You think you're doing that? The damage you've done in that one incident when it all could have easily been prevented by actually listening to the people who have been saying for years, this is a problem, we want to help you fix it, and you turning them away at the door because you are that protective and exclusionary because that's how hockey's been, you better change or else the sport's going to change for you and you're not going to be there to see it change. Do it now because the next time this happens, more people are going to be caught in the crossfire. And it's not just this victim who has nothing to be a part of this. And it's shameful that we are not talking about her because she has been violated. 
But the people in this sport who have the ability to make those changes at the junior level, not just major junior, but lower than that, you better start changing these things. You better start listening to the people who have asked just to be let in the door so that this change can be possible. Because if this happens again, and I fear it's going to, the consequences are going to be more severe. And we cannot continue to see this. This beautiful sport ruin itself because of this nonsense. I apologize, Will, for that rant. It was probably about 10 minutes, but I had to get it off my chest. And I know you think mostly the same way. Oh, no, it's all good. I mean, I'm with, I'm with you the whole way. I thought uh, there's just, it's, you know, obviously we can start with Luke Prokop. I mean, I'm so proud of him. I mean, that's just such an incredible thing to to have come out. And I agree, like the reaction to it was largely very positive. And it felt to me like the worst things I read about it were people saying, well, this isn't that big of a deal. It's 2021. And that, I mean, I get where they're coming from. And maybe on an individual basis, like if you don't think it's a very big deal for you personally, then all right, that's cool. But it is a big deal. And I think, you know, he should be commended for being literally the if first Elton person. If John is calling you, it's a big yeah, deal. Folks. It is a big deal. And uh, so good for him. I mean, it's really, really good. He's a, you know, and I think that it's something that I can totally see that being open and, and honest about it and, and, and public and just, you know, being yourself, if that's something that alleviates maybe some internal stresses that would have been there, you know, it might just help him make himself into a better player than he could have been had he, you know, been so conflicted about it and held it back and felt too shy but it's really great that there's that example now that that's out there and that you know for any other player who might be wrestling with the same uh discussions in their own heads like that yeah we're i, I think that by and large people are supportive and open and you know the, the people who aren't i think are a very very small minority at this point but they're still there i mean it's obviously intimidating and i'm obviously speaking from a place of privilege um but I'm really proud of him. I think it's a really good thing that he did. And I think that's where the focus should be. I mean, with the things that happened on Friday night and everything going on with the Chicago Blackhawks, I mean, I think it's a separate sort of category. But, I mean, with Logan Mayu, you know, that that's a guy where, you know, it, it, there's a lot of layers to interrupt, it. But here's the thing. What he is as a prospect is irrelevant at this point. And it's the same thing I'm going to say with Luke, and I mean this in the nicest way. What he is as a prospect, I don't care. You know, I don't care how good a player he is. The moment oh, no. and what's happening here means far more than anything that he'll do on the ice. Now, as you know, as I know, and I know a lot of people who I've said it, like, th it's quite possible that, again, he was drafted first round in the WHL and third round in the NHL in the closet. That's legitimately insane. I mean, as anybody knows what the closet like, it is awful. It sucks. Even for somebody whose coming out process like mine was fine and was relatively easy and straightforward. His was not. Not when you have to do it at that level. So I'm imagining the kind of player he can be. Mm -hmm. Incredible what it could be. But again, it doesn't matter because he did no. what he did, and that will always stick with people. And yeah. with Logan, again, it, it shouldn't matter how good a prospect you are. That Again, something like that is you something you have to learn from. And I, I've said it, and I know you'll say it too. Being drafted in the NHL is a privilege. It's not a right. you got to earn it. And he didn't earn it. And the, the thing that makes me most mad is when Logan said, I hope the Montreal Canadiens can make me better. And I don't want to talk about this for much longer, obviously, because it makes me mad and it makes you mad, of course. <laughs> it's not that I don't think he's wrong, that there might be a naivety of youth thing here. But what in, the, what in anything that Mark Bergevin, not just his Blackhawks history, but recent history, and what did anything of Trevor Timmons when he went to face the media and was stone-faced 
what makes any of us think that they actually know what it's going to take to make well, him yeah. better? That, like, that's know, the biggest sin of all. And again, he was drafted in the first round, folks. That's not going to get people in the sport to learn the lesson. And, and as much as the kids are definitely going to hear that everybody's pissed, they're not going to internalize the lesson of that. The adults better. The adults in the room need to learn that lesson. And it better happen soon. So, again, don't want to talk about it much anymore. It's, it made me mad, and it made me more mad than usual because it was a week there is so much promise, and then it was thrown in the trash for just no discernible reason, and it made me extremely mad. So let's talk about this draft. Yeah, let's This is a fascinating draft because not only was it mostly video scouting because of the pandemic and a lot of places, you, know, you had stop-start games. The Q tried to play through the pandemic. The OHL barely played at all. If they did, it's just for some random tournaments. The WHL tried. We had a World Juniors in a bubble. Uh, and this draft, if you go back on recent history and you look at some of the people who are talking about the draft, they would say wasn't the best in terms of talent. I mean, Owen Power is a, a very good player, but it's not like anything we've seen in recent years, certainly not what people say the next two years are going to be like. So what was your overall takeaway coming into this draft? And... How, if anything, has changed now that it's done? Uh, I don't think I'm counting myself amongst the people who's just saying that this draft was bad. Uh, I think that there were some very interesting players available. I think that what this year was, was that there's a lot of players where you can very clearly identify risk in their game. So the top 10 this year, I think if they all hit their ceilings, it could be a great group of players. You know, William Eklund, Dylan Gunther, Ken Johnson, all could be great scoring wingers in the NHL. Brant Clark could be a great power play quarterback defenseman in the NHL with some really good even strength ability. Simon Edvinson could be a, a massive two-way sort of beast of a defenseman if things go well for him. Um, but all of these players have flaws that really hold them back right now that you usually don't see out of the top group uh, of, of players in a given year but that does not indicate to me anything with regards to oh well in five years they'll only be this or in five years they'll only be this um, and I think that with this year's draft I think that there's just a lot of question marks with a lot of guys, especially once he got past the the 20s range in this year's draft. I mean, the thing that I'm really shocked about now that it's over is just how many guys that I personally really liked that slipped really far and just how many guys that I have never heard of before in my life that got drafted all over the place that I, you know, and I, I like to think I turn over pretty much every stone I possibly can using both data and video. And I mean, I'm going through the list of names that I've never seen before and I'm comparing it to the names of guys that, that I, that I saw go undrafted. And I mean, I don't know what's going on. I'm very curious to see how the guys that I like that went undrafted perform in the next couple of years, because compared to the names that some of the names I should say that were drafted that I had never even heard of, um, it was really all over the place. And I don't know if I think it might have been more maybe NHL teams were leveraging personal relationships, leveraging, you know, maybe inside leads they might have from players or coaches on their team. Like I know a guy who plays for UMass and he's a great kid and he works hard. And if, you know, if he's available in the fifth round, then just throw a pick at him. He can't be worse than all the other picks, which, you know, for an NHL team, sure, that that could make sense. Um, but definitely it was a weird hybrid of, you know, a really 
interesting sort of first round across the board. Nothing too horribly unexpected outside of a few exceptions. And then the second and third and fourth rounds were just kind of a free-for-all. I mean, but again, marked by guys that I really thought would not slip as far as they did. And a couple of guys that, you know, they were in a little bit of, you know, a few of the guys that I really liked that went undrafted were kind of off the beaten path, you know, playing second division pro overseas, or they left a good league and went to a worse one during the pandemic because their good league shut down or, you know, just these weird case studies that I think in a year we'll look back on and should see better things out of. But it was really all over the place. I mean, like I said, good players slipped, you know, odd off the beaten path players went all over the place. Um, but again, like I'm not in the game of saying, oh, it's a bad draft class. I think I think we'll have to wait and see. I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of the maybe not so star studded classes when we look back on it. But if things go right for a number of players uh, at the top end, then, yeah, I think there could be a really, really interesting group of players that came out of this year. For the Buffalo Sabres sake, I hope you're right. <laughs> uh, you're telling not, me. If not, yikes. Uh, the one thing I, I have to mention is if you are saying, I've never heard of these players, then that is saying something. Because I come into this knowing some of the names from reading these draft lists, watching you, Tommy will text me, and he'll put out his draft guide, which is a lot of European guys that he likes. And through that, I get something. It's not something I can follow all the way that, obviously, mm-hmm. you or others do. And if you are saying, I haven't heard of some of these guys, then that is an incredible thing to say. Knowing what you know and seeing what you see. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's remarkable that maybe this is just the perfect storm of circumstances of being a possibly lesser draft year mixed with the pandemic, with leagues going up and down, doing all different things, and then teams valuing things differently. Some teams saying, not interested in this draft, and other teams saying, yeah, we're going to make it work. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you have these two drafts coming up with potential franchise defining players. Is it maybe it's a perfect storm? I I don't know. I I think a big th- I think a big thing looking back at, at the na- at the names especially that I don't necessarily know about because I mean the way that I sort of build my spreadsheets really or the way I track prospects at the beginning of the season is I mean it starts off relatively small and just gets added onto and added onto as the year goes on based on you know guys who are producing or interesting cases that are ranked but I've never really seen a whole lot of. And what I've picked up on, on the names of guys that I have never heard of, and I think in this year's draft, there was only about, I don't know, I'm looking at my list now, maybe 25 or 30 of them that I legitimately had no idea existed. There's a few of them that I've seen in passing, but I never really thought much of them when I saw them. Like, I'm looking at names like Evgeny Kashnikov, who played in Quebec for a couple of games that I, one of which I saw and kind of liked. You know, I was watching a a Europe or a world championship game and Emil Lilleberg was a guy that was drafted off the Norwegian team that I watched in that, in that seat, in that, in that tournament. But I didn't come away thinking like, oh my God, these guys are definitely NHL draft picks. Um, and a few of them I understand also were guys who just didn't play and therefore I would, there was no, no, no way I could get my eyes on them. But I think the big thing that kind of sticks out when I'm looking through this list is that there's a lot of just big guys who may not produce super well. And I think that that's also indicative that the league might be trying to 
especially after the playoffs we just went through, you know, where everything was about the penalties that weren't getting called, how much Montreal's and the Islanders and even Tampa to a certain extent could just maul you and just get all over you and use their bodies to just shut you down. Even if it was illegal, they would do it and they would probably get away with it. So it might be that the NHL or certain NHL teams are now looking at their strategy, especially with defenders and going, you know what, maybe the whole thing where we stopped drafting those really big lurches who couldn't really score points is probably the right way to go anyway and just do it. Because I'm looking at a lot of these names and going, all right, he's big, he's big, he's big, he's big. And when I'm watching them play, it's like, okay, well, if you have a big player and you and you develop them into a better hockey player, then yeah, you could end up with something interesting for sure. Um, but I mean, look, I'll just drop a name of a guy who went undrafted, a guy like Yuri Tiachek, who is a Czech defenseman uh, playing in the second division over there. He's five foot nine. And I've been watching him this week uh, in a couple of friendly matches that they've been playing against Finland um, and Switzerland because I needed to look back because I'm like, okay, maybe I missed something. Like maybe if I watch more of him, more will show up to me that really indicates why he shouldn't have gotten picked. And I'm watching him breaking up defensive rush after defensive rush. He was the third best Corsi percentage player on the Czech junior team throughout every single game they played. Um, There was a lot of things about him where I'm going, all right, like he's playing defense in a way that isn't, you know, it it's different. It's not, he's out there punishing people. He's out there using his stick. He's extremely mobile. He's smart with his puck movement. He's a good passer. Um, he's not, he's got holes in his game for sure, but I'm comparing him to these huge guys from North America that are either undrafted from last year or playing, you know, like all over the place. And I'm looking at them and going, well, okay. Like if you think you can develop this into something, then sure. But if you, you know, but there are players available that just they're 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 the, the size of a cell phone smaller than a whole bunch of guys that got drafted. And is that the difference between setting a guy up, you know, leaving leaving them undrafted and, and, and picking a guy just because they've got decent size? Like, it's strange to me, but in any case, it is what it is. And, and, and NHL teams are going to do what they do. And look, the NHL draft is not the end of it. And, and guys can come back and they can come back again. And then they can, you know, like I get the feeling that a few guys that I like went undrafted, they're just really small and teams might not want, not want to draft really small players, which, okay. But I feel like in a few years, they might be really productive players overseas that might get eyes on at NHL teams. So we'll see what happens, but it is. It was very interesting. There was definitely more of these weird cases this year than last year, um, for sure. Uh, and I don't. I, but and a lot of them seem to be these big guys who don't score a ton of points that just wouldn't show up in in my typical in my typical searches. They would just fall into the the the, na- the noise category. Um, and when I do watch them, I'm going, well, I wouldn't have that much interest in them in them anyway. Um, but you never know. I mean, it's again, it's it's all about evaluating current talent and projecting. And if you feel like you can put more weight on the projection side of things and forego the current talent level a little bit, then all the more power to you. But I'm, I like risk management and I feel like it's probably best to just not look a gift horse in the mouth than draft the best players you can find and just keep making them better. You're telling the NHL teams are going to take the wrong lessons from the playoffs. Really? <laughs> I know the NHL teams are going to learn the <laughs> wrong lesson Again, if the Panthers beat the Lightning, then everybody's going to be going around trying to find teams that could play oh, in track meets, for Christ's look, sake. I mean, I live, come on. I, live in, I live in Toronto, and game five of that Toronto-Montreal series, it was a tie game with 10 seconds left. Uh, who was it? Ilya Mikheyev. Wide open net, 
puck bounces over his stick. Wide open net wins the series if that puck even touches it. And it just bounced over his stick at the last second. Bob's your uncle. Series is over. Leafs lose in seven. I mean, obviously, there's a big gap between there where they where they blew it. But that series could have been over. And the and the heralded Montreal Canadiens story would be over right from right from now, the get-go. Maybe it's, now, maybe it's an interesting case that we talk about Montreal because all the goodwill they just built up, they threw in the garbage. Like, <laughs> I didn't think that it would be possible for the Canadians to go to the Stanley Cup final for the first time in 28 years. And I wasn't hugely a fan of theirs watching them. Uh, and then they threw it in the trash. It was amazing. And mm-hmm. also, people are learning the wrong lessons from the Tampa Bay Lightning, who proved, hey, we can beat you in a track meet, but we can also win the one nothing games. They seem to be ignoring the track meet part. Like, again, I'm, I'm, I, I, I have to be a Panthers person, but did anybody, like, remember game one against the Panthers, which people will say was one of the best hockey games you'll ever see in the playoffs? Yep. Like, fun, entertaining, it wasn't this grinded-out garbage yep. that you see at times. Did anybody forget about that? You know, Tampa won it, but again, <laughs> people are li- the wrong lessons, as I, I mean, say. I mean, the thing – sorry, finish your thought. It's just – it stinks that we're you're losing the wrong lessons. Now, the good news is for the Panthers is I don't think at this point – we're recording this before free agency starts – that they're going to do the Rangers thing and start trading away all their skill <laughs> because they traded for Sam Reinhart and they decided, you know what? We might score 300 goals this year. And if we give up five in a game, who cares? We'll score seven. Yeah. Good. Play like that if that's, that's the way you want to. That's, that's the way how I like it should it. be. And you got Spencer well, Knight in that. That's not so bad. No, it's uh, not too bad. It's not too bad. And, and uh, I, I think I mean, the- Sorry, finish. People people feel sorry for Chris Dreeben. I'm like, I don't feel sorry. He got his bag, and Spencer Knight's going to play. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to yeah. be that mad about that at all. Yeah. Maybe I was proven wrong about Spencer Knight. Anyway, you can continue. The, the, the thing that's interesting now that we're talking about Tampa, Florida, is I remember watching that series, and I remember I watched a lot of Tampa hockey during the playoffs, and it it is a really interesting example especially when you watch them playing against the Montreal Canadiens it's one thing to be mean and physical and gigantic on your back end but when you watch Tampa Bay like their defensemen they're not they're not small but and they do have that mean streak to them they do have that physical side but they're also really freaking good hockey players that's and and when you watch how the Tampa Bay Lightning chain passes together how they're aware of where everybody is on the ice at all times and how much absolute firepower they load their team with actual tangible offensive skill if if NHL teams the le- if the if the lesson from NHL teams is that we can be like the Montreal Canadiens and win then i think that's the wrong lesson like you can be that kind of a team but you also have to be good at hockey and i think the Montreal Canadiens faced a really really talented hockey team and got exposed and the the Tampa Bay, I mean, all the credit to them. They made it to the Stanley Cup final and got through the Vegas Golden Knights to do it. But the Vegas Golden Knights are also like the version of the Montreal Canadiens that I think the Montreal Canadiens want to be. But they, and they and they overcame it, which is incredible. But I'm still, you know, it, it's it's still that thing of like, yeah, but what happens when an actual top to bottom skill team that can also still punish you is on the other side of the ice with an all star goaltender in net? And I think we saw kind of where that gap might still be because there is a difference between being mean and defensive and physical and punishing and breaking the rules and winning and a team that does all that as well, but also is also really, really, really good at, at, at modern NHL hockey. So, I mean, I'm hopeful for the Panthers if we want to bring it back to them. I mean, they've, they've had, a, they had a hell of a year that I don't think anybody really gave them enough credit for uh, really at all. And even going in, especially going into the season. Um, and, and I think 
they're on the right track, I think, based on where they who they drafted last year, how they drafted. I think the Sam Reinhardt deal is a tidy bit of business, and I thought they did well in this year's draft as well. We will get to that. I want to make the point that if you want to be the Islanders, great, but you're not going to be the Islanders. Stop it. You can't be the Islanders. And they have Matt Barzell, too. So stop trying to be the Islanders. And also, I have words for the people out there who think they could be the Montreal Canadiens. Montreal's the fifth best team in the Atlantic Division right now. The fifth best team. They're in the best division in hockey. They have to beat, again, Boston, Toronto, Tampa, Florida. Good luck with that. I'm sorry. They're not going to do it. The playoffs are wacky. Things happen like, in the playoffs. This year was that are, weirder than ever. I mean, yeah. again, that's the division they're in too. And it's yeah. insane. So let's yeah. talk about some. Let's talk about some players. And uh, let's talk about. I, I guess we should start with the Panthers. Why not? Because that's what we do here. Um, it's it's interesting to watch uh, the Panthers now. Uh, their first draft under Bill Zito was one where they're just cobbling it together, and they still drafted Anton Lindell, and they drafted two prospects, then ended up getting them Sam Bennett and Sam Reinhart, and now here you are. With this draft, where Bill Zito said we're more fully formed, and he was talking about how I learned from the master in Yarmo Kekalainen, and I always respected Columbus's draft, and I know you respect Columbus's drafts too. You like the way they do business around this time. It was interesting to watch them draft uh, Mackie Samuskevich, and one of the things that Tommy asked was talking about the Chicago Steel team, because one of the things he always talks about, with, particularly with that U.S. development team program, and he focused on it when they drafted Spencer Knight a couple years ago with that loaded team was, are we really getting the best view of these players, or is it because this team is so stacked, if that makes sense? And this Chicago Steel team, it's becoming a really big development hub. Mm-hmm. And now the question is, like, what can this team, because Sam Miscavige, I believe, is going to Michigan, and Michigan's going to be stacked again. So it's, it's an important talking point when we talk about developing players. Yeah, I yeah, I think the Chicago Steel are very interesting. I mean, they, they are a powerhouse now. Like, they have Ryan Hardy and his band of merry men and women have turned that team into a juggernaut in the ushl they are a big market you know chicago is a great place i imagine to play your junior hockey they have a really cool vibe their you know their jerseys look badass you know they've built a heck of a team there and not very many ushl teams can right now kind of hold a candle like would you rather play junior hockey in chicago or des moines iowa I, I mean, Des Moines is nice. I, about, look, yeah, about, I've been to Go Iowa, awesome. It's so yeah. Okay. I've let's been to Iowa. Let's not devolve this into talking about. I mean, it's not the Iowa Hawkeyes, but let's not devolve into that. I mean, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. Poop, I'm not pooping on Iowa. I've been, and I actually liked it. I was. I, I love Iowa City when I drove through there. It was kind of neat. Hawkeyes um, fans are fun, man. But, they, but they, the, the Hawkeyes fans are fun. But if you're trying to sell a 15 or 16 year old hockey player on where to play hockey. I feel like they're going to lean towards Chicago over pretty much any other USHL market. So that gives them an advantage as well. Um, and so I, I think that when I look at the Chicago steel, it's, it's very, very interesting because some good players play depth minutes for them. And, and, and they just are so loaded with skill. I mean, one of the guys I really like who went undrafted plays for the Chicago, Chicago steel and Lucas Gustafson. Um, he was supposed to be there, I believe full time all year. And I, I'm pretty sure that if he was there full-time all year, he would have been much more on lists around the league. But I think he only ended up playing like 18 games all season this year. And, But I still, what I saw was really, really interesting. And when we're bringing it to Samuskevich, I mean, he wasn't a premier name on the team this year, uh, especially considering he, I think they had two 2,000-born forwards on the top line with Matthew Coronado for quite a while. And Matthew, Matthew Samuskevich, though, 
it's an important reason why points might not be the best indicator for certain cases. When I look at Mackie Samuskevich, I see a lot of upside, a lot of skill, a lot of fun factor with him. Um, but he kind of got hidden behind those sort of more ice time, higher octane offensive guys with more experience. And he's, you know, I, I think he kind of had a bit of trouble, trouble really anchoring a line, which seemed to be his responsibility. But the the fundamental tools there are impossible to deny. And with the Chicago Steel, I mean, it's a good example of why you you do need to do some actual like visual analysis and, and actual work to break apart a player's game rather than just looking at data because especially when you're looking at, at it on a per game basis it might not jump off the page at you but there's lots to like there with Samuskevich for sure mm-hmm. and so what does he project as because he's going to go to college hockey and with the Panthers in the position they're in right now I mean if you don't see him for three years that's not a surprise yeah and so and for some people it was underwhelming by the time we got to you're picking 24th in a weird draft and the Panthers are not anywhere near where the draft matters as much in the short term. It's all about long-term bets. So what do you think he could project as going forward uh, with a couple years at perhaps a powerhouse Michigan team that will be forever better than their football team? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's a big swing. I don't, I don't think there's, I, I think if anything, people should be excited. Um, he's, he is one of, I think one of the more exciting players in the entire draft, but I do think that there's a lot of nuance to that, that, uh, you know, might might change things. I mean, on one hand, I just said, finished saying that, oh, you know, you don't score a ton of points on the Chicago Steel. It's not the end of the world because of how many good players they've got that suck up all the ice time. Um, but when I watch Mackie Samusgevich play, it's his game is, and, and the, the value in him is so much about his potential. It's not so much about what he's doing right now. I mean, there is an unbelievable amount of skill with him. His his problem-solving one-on-one ability is really high-end. Um, he is a great playmaker. He's a dangerous guy around the ice with the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. But the trouble for me with Samuskevich is that it's kind of inconsistent. I mean, there were some games where he was lights out and absolutely dominant, um, and in a very characteristic way of the Chicago Steel, one of the best generators of dangerous shot attempts for, and one of the worst suppressors of dangerous shot attempts against. But that is the case for Chicago. They play hockey like we were talking about earlier, where it's 7-5, 8-5, 9-6 every night. And you don't get that without being a team that's willing to take more chances offensively and give up more chances defensively, I don't think. Um but, I mean, he's a top 10 player in terms of generating dangerous passes to the slot. Um, top top, top 20 when it comes to high danger chances from right in front of the net. Um, he follows up on shot attempts really, really well. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of upside and room to grow with him, for sure. Really efficient transition player both going both ways. But defensively, he can sort of focus a little bit too much on on waiting for that offense to come but as like a playmaker with great hands and great vision in the offensive zone i think in in, in the end of the, at the end of the day he's a pretty big boomer bust guy but a second line winger with some power play playmaker upside or maybe a good third line scoring guy i think there's something there with him i don't know exactly what but if he sort of learns how to use his strengths a lot better and play a more 200 foot game now that he's outside of, of the steel system, I think there could be a really interesting player there. I think in terms of pure talent alone, 
the, the, the Panthers picking at 24, he probably is just outside that top 20 in terms of pure talent at his best. Um, but when you take in all the other factors and the total approach to the game and, and everything that sort of makes a prospect beyond just really interesting with a lot of potential, he kind of falls short there. But I, he, he, he is probably at 27 based on who was left on the board. Maybe not the guy I would have taken, but he's one of the most fun that was still on the board for sure. And the other thing is we're kind of now just understanding, I think, what Bill Zito and his front office want in the draft. And we say Columbus because that's what he comes from, but he still has his own brand and his own identity. And I want to get into that with the guys they drafted later. Tommy liked the Russians, guys. He's on brand too, speaking of which. <laughs> um, he really liked the two Russian picks. He, he, was, he was ecstatic with those. Uh, considering they traded away uh, Vladislav Kolyachanok, and uh, I had to be the one to pronounce the name. We got more Russians that have difficult names to pronounce that it will take me a second or two to get. Yes. So quick thoughts on the rest of that draft. He particularly wanted to talk about Evan. Is it Nouse? Cause Nouse. I, that's what I, yep. is it Nouse? Okay. Nouse, yeah. that, that's easy one. That's easy one. I use that word all the time. Uh, mm. He wants to talk about that because we, we, the Panthers haven't drafted a first round defenseman since Aaron Eckblad and they still haven't, but they've been drafting a lot of these guys. Some of them they've traded away. Some of them that they continue to stockpile. Just, I guess you'd call them interesting you know, mid-round draft picks that yep. are used in the defense core? Yeah, I mean, when I look at Evan Nouse, I mean, I did a few, I saw a few games of his and tracked some data on a few, uh, and I've really tried with him a bunch of times this year. I mean, I had him ranked a lot lower than a lot of people, um, but I understand why people had him ranked really high. For, I mean, a big thing for me is that when I'm looking at Quebec League players, I set my bar really high. I know it's like, oh, you can't just write off an entire league as bad, but I find that the hockey in the Quebec League is hard to project to the NHL um, almost more so than the USHL at this point. Now I look at Evan now and see a defenseman who there's potential again, similar to Sam Eskevich, but to a lesser extent, his, his ability to process play and, and escape pressure in close quarters is really high end. There aren't very many defensemen this year who I think were as comfortable when guys were chasing them down as Evan Nouse was. Um, but beyond that, I think he's a work in progress. I, I didn't, I, I know he scored a lot of points, but they, a lot of them came on the power play. Um, I had questions about his rush defense, uh, his decision-making. He had a hard time threading together consistent pass rates. I, I think there's a there's a, there could be a player there for sure. in Nouse, especially if you, you know, give him a few years to develop, he's going to be a guy who probably needs some time in the AHL to get there. Um, but that the brain is really good with him. And some areas of mobility are good. I, I, I think there were better players at 56 to pick, but he's a perfectly acceptable one. And there might be an NHL player there down the road if you're if you're patient and work through sort of the faults. And maybe getting him out of Quebec at the end of the day uh, will be something that might help him go in the right direction, at least to me. And I know that there are lots of people who really do like him. I know some people had him in the first round, but I, I was not one of those people. It's fine. The draft is subjective. And yes. I think one of the things that, I would always say is if you could get a good brain, if you could process the game at a high level, your brain doesn't go. As, as, as I, yeah. learned from, I learned that from Igor Larionov II talking about his dad. Your brain doesn't go. Yeah. The way you process the game doesn't go, even if your physical tools aren't there. I'll take to be able to process the game from the back end yeah. all the time. And I think that's something the Panthers are valuing now a lot is just smart players. Just yeah. guys who process things quickly and have that, you know, that extra build, like what actually what we mean when we talk about hockey IQ. 
Uh, quickly, we, I don't want to focus entirely on the Panthers, but the couple of the Russians that they took yes. uh, later on. One of them was a goalie, and it was notable because they had just traded away Devin Levi, and Tommy was like, I would have traded him straight up for Levi, which is Tommy's a little Euro, a little <laughs> bit of a Euro snob. I, I use that in the nicest way possible. It's true. But it's one of those things where, you know, they trade away a guy in Devin Levi who could be a really decent prospect, but got blocked by Spencer Knight quite clearly. Mm-hmm. And yep. now they take another guy who, you know, they're going to wait five, six years, but I don't think the Panthers care about that at this point. They're willing to play the long game in some of these cases with his prospects, which is absolutely what you should do in general, but also especially when you're in their positions. So talk about the two Russians. Yeah, I, these guys were really interesting pickups for me. I, you know, it's funny. After last season, I really thought that Vladislav Lukashevich would be in my first round. Uh, in 2021, I I really loved what he brought to the game with Loco's junior team there in, in Yaroslavl. Um, there was skill, there was creativity, there was a bit of an offensive side to his game. Um, but then this year, he just didn't really do much. I mean, he just there there wasn't a heck of a lot going on there, especially offensively with him. Uh, defensively, I felt that he was mediocre. He was he's a he's a good first pass guy he's a good sort of defensive defenseman this season at least to my eye um but he just kept dropping down my board over the course of the year and i did a bunch of games of him and tracked a bunch because i just had a hard time believing that a player that i liked so much last year was so underwhelming this year um but i can see why the florida panthers would pick him i think there are interesting problem solving tools with the puck on his stick like i said he makes a good first pass he was the fourth best player i tracked this year when it came to completing passes on average it's just that not a whole lot of them were crossing blue lines offensively or in the offensive zone there just wasn't much going on there except for just getting the puck on his stick passing it to someone and getting it the hell out of the defensive zone um, which is okay and, and his defensive game, I think, is pretty hit or miss, especially when the physical side is taken into account. Um, but he's an interesting neutral zone defender, offensive blue line guardian. Like, he's a good version of that type of defender as well. Um, it's an interesting swing to take. I thought he would be a guy that a team would take a flyer on later in the draft, like towards where they took guys like Jakub Koch and, and Braden Haish. But... I look at Vladislav Lukashevich and see an interesting swing. And I mean, look, like I said, he's a guy where I thought he would at least be in my top two rounds uh, this season going out at coming out of last year. Um, so maybe there's some buy low potential there. And with Garasso, one of the things yeah. about it is he, I think he comes from the same program as Grigory Denisenko. So they would definitely yep. know what's going on there. And yeah. you were talking about like, you go, go with the devil, you know, and if, if it's something like in that case, they definitely know what's going on there because they were keeping their eyes on Denisenko before he came over. So I think that there's they have eyes there, I think is probably yeah. one of the things you would say. And yeah. for the goalie, because, again, it's interesting to watch who the Panthers never took a goalie, then they took Spencer Knight. Now they've taken one in each of the last two drafts at the back end. And particularly, again, it's a guy who you, you don't, you're going to wait six years for, but that's fine. Well, the thing about the goalie is I am – very excited about him and i think the florida panthers have another devin levi here uh he is really really fun i think with kiro Garasimyuk, he he played on ska st petersburg's second junior team so they have two they sent him to the worst one uh which is just a nightmare team to watch they're just so bad and he was unreal 
I mean, he, I, I have his numbers right in front of me. Like his goals against average was 2.6, which doesn't sound great until you see a save percentage of 931. Like on average, he was facing 37 and a half shots a game. And I don't think a single goaltender I tracked last year broke that, uh, at least not in a big sample. So this is a guy who faced a ton of pucks, saved a ton of them, and Instat has a really interesting statistic of expected goals against average, and he beat his expected goals against average by 32%, which is better than a lot of other goaltending prospects that went off the board ahead of him, except for Sebastian Kosa. And Jesper Wallstead was good, but he also was playing in the SHL, which is a much, much more difficult league. So you've got a goaltender who had a bad first period at the under-18s, and I think that's why he fell in this year's draft. Um, he wasn't ranked by NHL Central Scouting. Um, he had a bad first period in the under-18, got pulled and never saw the ice again. Sergei Ivanov took over, and he's also a very talented goaltender, but Gerasimyuk, to me, was a guy that should have gotten a fair shake first. Um, but for him, I mean, again, it's a buy low, late in the draft, you just take a swing, and your goalie guy who picked out Devin Levi has now that picked out Kirill Grasimir. Everybody, there you go. In, and case, gr- in case you didn't, in case you didn't know that before, and and you could do a lot worse than drafting a goaltender who has faced a lot of pucks and stopped a lot of them, uh, and their team might not be so good. I find, yeah, like, uh, um, what's his I think name? Roberto Luongo would sympathize. Yeah, with that. exactly. Uh, Who's his name? Uh, Connor Hellebuck was one of those guys. He was playing in the NAHL when he was draft eligible. And I think his save percentage was like a 925, but his goals against average was like 3.3. He was facing like 40 shots a night. So of course he's going to be undervalued because his team is just bad and he's winning every game for them. So with Garasimiak, I think he's another one of those guys. It's a goalie that I would bet on. His track record over the last few years has been great. Um, and the numbers that I've seen on him are quite promising. So you get, like you said, you're going to need to wait. He's going to be brought along very slowly in, in, in SKA St. Petersburg. He played in the VHL a bit this year and played very well. Um, but that's going to be a slow burn guy. And if he's your backup, like if you end up with a situation like how the Washington Capitals have in the past where they have, you know, a bunch of good young goaltenders and they've got to pick one. Um, I'm sure it's going to be Spencer Knight for Florida, but Gorasimia could be one of those goaltenders who sort of shows up on the scene in a few years and kind of gives him a bit of pressure and maybe you end up trading him somewhere for something more than what you paid for him, which is the goal of the draft, especially in the late rounds to me at least. Well, it makes sense. And again, it's it's showing the signs again, a little bit of the signs of what this process for the for the Panthers might be like in the future, at least what they're attempting to be. And as I said, you're picking 24th or whatever, you have these later picks. There's there's not much you could do in terms of like high value, but if you've got a process and you stick to it, that's all I really care about at this point yep. with the Panthers at this draft. Yeah. And yeah. and drafts going forward now that they are attempting to be good right now as opposed to being, you know, a team that's drafting in the lottery every year. So let's move on to some other things in the draft. Uh, do you have anything, you know, a pick that you're like, wow, that that is the steal of the draft. A guy you absolutely love. Oh, man. You went, How did this happen? Well, I knew it was going to happen before going into the draft because <sighs> – we could go through it if you want, but I mean, William Eklund falling to seven is is a larceny move for, for San Jose. It just, he was number two on my board and I kept, I went through my video of him in preparation for the draft and I'm sitting there going, how does anyone not have this guy top three? It does not make any sense to me um, at the very worst. And I thought Matthew Beniers was my number one. And if anyone was going to challenge Beniers for number one, uh, to me, it was Eklund. So to get him at seven, you know, you, obviously that's not 
in terms of numbers, that's not that big of a slip, but in terms of what happened in between and, you know, like I'm a big fan of the guys that went in between, you know, say Beniers and, and Eklund, but, but William Eklund, I think is a clear step ahead of guys like Ken Johnson and Simon Edvinson and even Luke Hughes and Mason McTavish. I, I, I thought that was a great pick. Um, I was a huge fan of Logan Stankoven last year, so him falling all the I way saw to some people mentioning him. Yeah, he's he's the, an un... the, the in-depth Twitter people. I would the, the yes. draft after dark folks, I guess I would call them. Yeah, Stankoven is a really talented player, and he should have gone in the first round. I mean, if it's really hard for me to believe, but it it's really on one hand, it's hard for me to believe that Wyatt Johnston would be on a list higher than Logan Stankoven, but at the same time. If Wyatt Johnston was picked at the same slot where Logan Stankoven was picked and Logan Stankoven was picked in the slot where Wyatt Johnston was picked, I'd feel like it was still a pretty good haul for the Dallas Stars. Um, so I can't really be that mad about it. Uh, would I have picked someone other than Wyatt Johnston uh, and picked Stankoven at 47? Probably, but that's whatever. That That's okay. Um, but that Stankoven all the way down at 47 and Atu Ratu falling all the way to 52, those were the really big surprises on the second second round that really surprised me a lot. But I'm a huge fan of Stankoven, and I don't think it's going to be very long for people to realize just how good he is and to realize that, okay, the Dallas Stars are getting more really, really fun offensive talent coming down the pipe, which every team could use more of, but Dallas just seems to especially in this year's draft and to a certain extent last year, just sort of close their eyes and pick the best players and hope that they turn out. And even if they have some flaws in their game or some question marks, like they took Jason Robertson and I don't think they care. He just scored a ton of points. He was on a bad team in Kingston and just kept getting better and better and better. And here he is. He was a Calder trophy nominee. So yeah, I mean, with Stankoven, I think that there's a good trajectory there. They took Ayrton Martino in the third round, who's a guy that I had uh, ranked 28th. He was 73rd overall. That's another really good USHL player that I think just went completely criminally underrated. Um, St. Louis getting Simon Robertson at 16. Like, it really struck me that it seems like for a lot of guys, it, 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 it's, it's, it's reductive, but I feel like it's true. If you had a bad under-18 then you're going to slip. If you were at the under 18 and hadn't played before and you weren't terrible, you were picked way higher than I would have picked you. And it, it sounds really simplistic, but I still feel like that seems to be what took place. Um, so it, at least in certain cases. You value the eye test too much. It's my hunch because I'm looking at, you know, like I'm looking at the names that went off the board before guys like Simon Robertson and Ayrton Martino. Now, Simon Robertson didn't have the best under 18 tournament, and he does have some question marks about his games that are legitimate, but he was a guy that I never once saw ranked outside the top 40. I had him ranked top, I had him at 16 on my board, and he went 71st to the St. Louis Blues, and the Blues traded picks to get him. So the Blues at some point just went, all right, this can't happen any further. Someone's going to pick him. Let's just do it. Um, but that and and those guys could be tremendous pickups, and you know especially when you consider the names that went off the board ahead of them. So we'll see what happens. But uh, those were the names that really surprised me in terms of the ones that really slipped. Um, but again, I think in a lot of situations it was overcorrection for things that might be biases that I'm not a huge fan of. Things like Logan uh, Stankoven being five foot eight. Overcorrecting. Come on now. I could I could easily see it. You know. 
kidding. Uh, let's talk about Ratu because I know a lot of people liked him, and I think if you were thinking about this draft in advance, this was the first name you were hearing, and then it was a precipitous fall. Yep. And I don't, again, follow these prospects in the way that you or so many others do to see how he would fall this far. Yeah. So explain why that would happen for somebody who got so much. Because if you hear a name a couple years in advance, like let's, be, let's, let's use this as an example, and it's not a good one. But Connor Bedard is already being talked about two, three years before his draft, right? If he fell at any way the same way that Ratu fell, it would be a gigantic story. Now, maybe that's because he's Canadian. But in this case, Ratu was one of the first names you heard about the 2021 draft. And this was a couple years ago. And now he's taken 52. So what happens? How does something like this happen? Uh, Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, look. Again, when I look at the names that went off the board before Ratu Ratu, I think, again... I, I don't want to put myself in the heads of NHL executives when I myself am not one, but it really feels like NHL teams just don't want to bring the baggage that might come with him onto their teams. And I mean, look, I think the New York Islanders are a great fit. Lula Amarillo, you know, say what you will about his strategy when it comes to whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk about, you can protecting, say what you will. Who are they protecting? Casey Sezekis or whatever sure. the hell it was? Whatever, whatever. You can, you can critique his, in and his, his, this and that and the other and say, well, he shouldn't win GM of the year, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, he still is an extremely well-respected member inside the hockey community when it comes to building teams that can win. And he, I think he just, he doesn't care about two years from now. He worries about that later. He just wants to put together a team that can win as quickly as possible. And I think that that pays off in certain ways and there are trade-offs, but with Atu Ratu, you know, I don't think he is the player that should have gone first overall. And I think that's a big cautionary tale as to putting too much pressure on a 15 or 16 year old kid two years out from their draft eligibility, because it was pretty clear last year that he was kind of struggling in the league against grown men um, had trouble putting up the offensive numbers he used to put up, and that followed him this year disappointingly. But I watched Atu Ratu play a lot this year, and I am—I will never, ever, 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 ever believe that 51 names in this year's draft were better than him uh, going into the draft. And I think that what it's, what it means to me, I mean, I think teams looked at him and they did their research on him and said he might just be too scared. He might just not have the right mental makeup to be an NHL player, and we don't want anything to do with him because we don't want to waste a draft pick on a kid who can't handle being a professional player. And you know what? On one hand, okay, fine. I'll grant that. But in my opinion, I think it's more beneficial and holistic to give him a pat on the back, say, look, the last two seasons are all behind you. The hype machine is all behind you. It's all in the past. You don't have to think about it anymore. You're a fresh player. It's a fresh start. We know you're better than you have been, but you're only going to get there if you believe that you are too. Because I've seen him do stuff, like he was a guy who scored a goal per game pretty much when he was in junior hockey. And I watched him on a few occasions this year in the Liga with a clear shot to the net, even sometimes an open an open shot into the net. And it could have been an easy goal here and there, but he would fire it over the net or fire it way wide or just flub the shot entirely. And to me, that's an indication that He's just thinking too much. He's in his own head a lot. And when I watched him this year, I, 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 I could not help but think that there's still an extremely talented player there if you play your cards right. He's a great skater for his size. He's a powerful guy. He can, he's got great hands. Um, 
he drove a lot of his team's shot attempts when his team was not taking very many of them. Uh, he was participating in a lot of that. He was trying to drive a line on his own. Um, there are flaws to his game, and there are reasons why the offense kind of lagged a little bit. But I also don't think that as an individual, it lagged as much as we all think it did. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, it's it's ironic. Like the day he was drafted, he was playing an exhibition game and scored four goals. Um, there's something there. And I just refuse to believe that 51 names went off the board behind before him and they were all better than him as a player. And it just strikes me as as teams just sort of going, eh, this this kid is too in his own head and he's never going to work out. And Lou Lamarillo sitting there going, yeah, so what if he is like, let's find out, like, let's give him a fresh start and find out. Screw it. And if it works, you've got yourself a very clear cut first round caliber player at the end of the second round. So great calculated gamble there for the Islanders, especially with their first pick off the board. Um, and he's a guy who I think he just needs a pat on the back and someone to believe in him for a while. <laughs> Well, you know what's really funny? It's, and I'm, I'm not to be a dead horse, but if we're talking about things that can be excused when you're young and you're a child, we're talking about children here, and we're excusing things that are not excusable behavior in the case of something like we talked about before, and then we're talking about a guy who's in his own head in a hockey sense, which is perfectly acceptable when you're getting the hype machine at 16 years old, for Christ's sake. Again, talk about a child here. You know, why are we excusing one but not the other? I, I understand that this is hockey, and hockey people do stupid things that when you think about it, you go, wait, that makes no sense. But for me, I don't care. You can, that's something you can fix. You can, you can deal with that. It's like, it would be like saying, oh, we're going to give up on Carter Hart because he had a terrible year during a pandemic when everyone was mentally screwed up. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Again, I think it, it's not one-to-one, -one, but like, can you get somebody out of their own head? Yeah, you can do that. Not, I don't think that's if you have the right team and the right setup. Yeah, you can definitely yeah. do that. I mean, he's a kid. Like he's a kid. I remember Again, being I say 18. Children, I, I say children for the added effect, but yeah, like I can't imagine. I cannot even imagine being 15 or 16 years old in Finland, and all of a sudden, all this news starts popping up about who oh, you're the next big thing in hockey. You're the guy that's going to go number one overall. And I mean, I don't know. I'm, 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 I've been to Scandinavia. I've met and talked to quite a few Scandinavians. And they, some, some of them, just like some of everyone in the world, are not super comfortable with being the center of attention and not super comfortable with being brought out of their comfort zone without their sort of, the without the intent of, or, or them having really knowing what's going on. And I'm sure it would have been awesome for someone like Atu Ratu to continue that pace and be that first overall guy, of course. But I just get the feeling that sometimes... There are people who just have trouble with those kinds of expectations put on themselves by others and themselves. So I don't know. I think it's a, a great buy low candidate. I I remember Scott Wheeler had a great piece about Atu Ratu this year where it dived into a lot of this, how much pressure he was putting on himself, how much he just kind of lost his love for hockey. And I think that if you said that you lost your love for hockey to the wrong people in the NHL, word travels fast that you don't care about hockey. When in reality, I think it's a lot simpler than that. And it's just that he's having a rough go and he's just dealing with a lot of crap that he wasn't really expecting to deal with. And you have to work through that with him. And if you do and you support him and you help him, you're going to probably end up with a really talented player. Like, is he going to be a top line guy? I don't think so. But second line center, 
that can that can play at both ends and chip in offensively. And if he ever figures out that scoring streak again, hell yeah, he's going to be a great pickup for the New York Islanders there. It's a no-brainer. And I was shocked at just how far he fell. Um, I was told there was a chance he wouldn't go in the first round, but I did not think he would almost make it to the third round. That That really blew my mind. Well, I think it also gives us, when we start talking about the next two drafts, it's like if some of these kids, Shane Wright or Bedard or Mitchkoff, have struggles, hey, it's not really easy to be the center of attention and have the world placed on you at age 15. Yep. It's not easy. No. It's just, or we can do what we say, say, hey, this is a really good prospect, and we kind of focus on the idea with, from a mental health perspective, don't hype these guys. And some kids, some kids embrace it and love it. But that's not everybody, you know, and I get the sense that, you know, hockey doesn't really like the, uh, the show offy shouty types. But, you know, again, like we've seen guys who are the hype prospect in it and they back it up and they enjoy it. And that's just yeah. who they are. And there are examples of the other way, too. And you have yep. to be able to deal with them. But, of course, the majority of hockey teams in the league have no idea what they're doing when it comes to that because they can't comprehend different nuances of thinking i guess uh anything else uh from in terms of the surprises category players you liked i want to get to goalies in a second because mm-hmm. it's interesting we might be seeing a new trend but uh, any other players you liked that you're like wow they they went too low i mean i the it was funny i mean a guy i had ranked in my first round went to the tampa bay lightning at, oh, great. uh Wonderful. at 126 uh, Dylan Duke. I mean, I almost I, when they said Dylan Duke, I'm like, oh great, it's not David Duke. Thank God. <laughs> uh, that would be a little strange. Uh, that little, would be that would be, had a Bobby Orr taken in this draft, but I guess yep. it's better to be called David Duke. Yeah, uh, thankfully not related. Um, but yeah, Dylan Duke is a very interesting one. I thought he might slip because he plays like he's six foot six and he's five foot nine, maybe five ten on a good day. Um, but man, I just love how he plays. I, I cannot stop watching him play guys like him at his size can make it work. I fully believe that, um, he's listed at five, nine, but he is an absolute menace. He gets to the net. He grinds play around the net. He is a tremendous, just high danger shot generator, uh, high motor, high work rate guy. Not sure he projects as a center, but boy, uh, you put him with some dynamic pair like line mates, and he can get and he gets to the net and just slaps away at pucks in dangerous areas. He's got a bit of skill and playmaking to him as well, but there's a really interesting player there. And I had him 32 on my list, and he ended up going in the fourth or fifth round or whatever it was. Um, and for Tampa Bay, I mean, that's just a no-brainer for me. And I think even if you get like a really good aggressive third-line energy guy that can make a play here and there that's a win at that slot. And I have a hard time seeing a world where Dylan Duke isn't at least given a chance in the NHL just because of how hard he works uh, at both ends of the ice. I really, really like Dylan Duke a lot. Um, And I think he's going to overcome his size uh, limitations, at least what people seem to think are limitations on him due to his size. I think he's going to overcome it. No problem uh, over time. So you're telling me he's going to become the next Carter Verhage, probably potentially something like that. I mean, I see, I see something, I don't know what I see out of him. Um, you know, like a miniature, like he plays that Brandon Gallagher, Brandon Gallagher style where you just see him all over the ice being rambunctious, being, being annoying, you know, playing with some skill and just crashing the net and spanking the puck in. And if, and if that's what works for you, that's what works. And I think it could, 
Uh, it's worked for him all year. He almost scored 30 goals this year. He was 29 goals in 53 games, uh, and a lot of them came from the goal mouth. And that's, I think, what NHL teams are kind of looking for. Um, and I think Tampa just said, well, look, we have a lot of guys that are five foot eight, five foot nine, five ten, and they do just fine. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does there. Uh, sorry for you, but uh, he's I mean, a he's a good pickup. I don't think it's a bad thing that teams want to follow what the Lightning do. I don't <laughs> think it's a I like I can't. The 18 million over the cap stuff, it was legal. I don't care. You got to yeah. be better than them. And the league, I don't think that this is a villainy thing, but you know, the Lightning are the way you need to build a team in the NHL in the modern era. That's just how this league is going to go. And if teams have to copy the Lightning, good. It's better than copying the alternative. And so, again, the Lightning will have a factory line of players who are really good that you never heard of, that they turn into something great, and then they become Jonathan Marcheseau or Carter Verhage, and then everybody's like, wait, Tampa lost them and they still won two straight cups? Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty good at this. It's just how they operate. So if teams want to copy the Lightning, it's probably a good idea. And that's why I keep telling people, Tampa's not going to be bad this year. Tampa could easily win a third straight cup, and I wouldn't be surprised because that's just what they do. It takes a lot to get to the point where we're just going to assume that out of you. Like, yeah. that's just what you've done. And again... They were the best team over regular seasons for the first, like, five years before they won Cups. They already proved that they could do this. Anyway, uh, do you have any other guys that you were like, wow, that, that, that shouldn't have been as low as it was? That covers most of it, I would say. Mm-hmm. So now let's go to the goalies, because we got two in the first round. The Red Wings traded up to get them. And now, after about a decade of no goalies in the first round, other than just, you know, the odd, you know, unicorn out there now we have spencer mm-hmm. knight and then we have what we had last year with askaroff and now we've got two this year yep. are we seeing a change perhaps that teams are valuing goaltending differently well, because after all of the high profile you know ones that got away for a very mm-hmm. long time teams learned their lesson and stayed away and now they seem to have unlearned their lesson i guess but are we just seeing better goaltending prospects or are teams evaluating the position better well let me give you what i think is happening here i think that I think that what's happening is that it it would be very risky to say, well, things have turned a corner and now goalies are worth picking in the first round. The way that I see goaltending is where are they playing is the biggest thing and how well are they playing and how well have they played in prior seasons? That's my big checklist. Um, Last year, Yaroslav Askarov was playing in a league where very few, if any players had ever played as a draft eligible and played a lot of games, let alone performed extremely well. To me, that matters. If you're in completely uncharted territories, especially playing for SKA St. Petersburg, where the competition is unbelievable there and you're earning men's league minutes at 17 years old, yeah, you should probably be a goalie that goes in the first round just off a gut feeling. If, if that, um, I look at Jesper Wallstead this year. SHL goaltender played a lot of games. He played 22 games this season, and you know they played a full season in Sweden uh, and performed extremely well. And went to the World Junior. I thought he should have been their goaltender at the World Junior, but whatever. Um, and no one's ever done that. No one has ever played a season in the SHL as a draft eligible and played more than 20 games. And the last time someone played more than 10 was 1999. And to me, that sticks out, especially when they have a 908 save percentage and they outperform what's expected of them. And he was placed facing a pretty high workload of high and medium danger shots, and he stayed his ground and, and looked great doing it. So that, to me, sticks out as, yeah, that's a guy I want. Um, 
those guys, those two players are on an island. They're goaltenders where you can easily identify them and go, no one else is like that. I want, I want the guys where no one else is like that. With Sebastian Kosa, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of amazed he went first ahead of Wallstead. I, he's huge. He's got the same sort of technical ability of, as a guy like Wallstead, but I just, I'm still skeptical of CHO goaltending that high, especially from powerhouse teams like the Edmonton Oil Kings were this year. Um, we'll see what happens. Look, if you get your goalie, you get your goalie, and not very many WHO goaltenders are 940 goaltenders. Um, it, it, could that have been different over a bigger sample? Sure. Uh, but I, I think that moving forward, like next year, I'm looking through. I knew Jesper Wallstead would be a great pick in this year's draft two years ago. He was playing against under 20 competition when he was like 14. Uh, it was silly. So I don't think there's any of those guys next year. I think Sergei Ivanov did, did himself some favors at the under 18 this year, and I'll have my eye on him as maybe one of those sort of first round guys. But 2022 is also a very deep draft in my view. It's looking very strong uh, as of right now. And it would be pretty tough for me to look at any goaltender that isn't playing European pro hockey or absolutely dominating the CHL in a full season uh, to consider them in the first round. I didn't have Spencer Knight in my first round, for example, because I just had too many questions. And it worked out for Florida. That's that's great. Well, okay, it worked out for one game, and everybody got drunk on one sure. game. Let right. me okay. let me be fair. I mean, goalies can have the game of their life, and he had the game of his life in a playoff game when right. every Panthers fan is like, I'm sick of goaltending now. <laughs> and listen, I mean, I, I knew somebody who would have played against him when he was really, really young, and the talk in that area of the country was like, this dude's sick. Right. This dude's sick. Now, okay, what that's worth, who knows? But I, I – and, and for me, it's now a matter of developing him. Now, the thing is – in pe- the if the jet if the excuse me front office group that drafted him was the one developing him I would have had questions but now they don't exist anymore and now Bill Zito's in and Bill Zito as we have talked about I think knows what he's doing so he has an ability to say okay you can play in the NHL but we'll give you AHL minutes and we're going to keep developing you and they have a plan it's it's harder to do. especially I think now with goaltending like you, you need to have a plan you really need to know what you're doing in order to make sure you get the most out of them. Because when we've seen in the past these highly touted goaltending process, I mean, congratulations to Jack Campbell for resuscitating his career, but, I mean, it didn't work out when it started. And that was a cautionary tale. And I think perhaps maybe teams have learned their lessons a little bit in terms of how do we develop them? How do we make sure that those mistakes aren't made again? That's entirely possible. I think, again, I, I am still very skeptical about goaltenders in the first round. I need to be really convinced like, I wouldn't have taken Ben Goudreau in the first round if my life depended on it. Um, a lot of the other goalies that got drafted, none of them played pro hockey except Jakob Malik, who's a undrafted from last year. Um, you know, look, I think you can you can find something there with goaltenders. And, and I think that if you do use my checklist and say, look, if they have a track record and they performed extremely well this year and beat expectations, then you may as well take a swing on them later in the draft. I'm not against drafting goaltenders, period. But when it comes to using the first, like the first name off your board, um, that is always, you have to be really sure for me. And Wallstead was a guy that stuck out as a guy where, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And, and same thing goes for, for Askarov last year. And like I said, next year, as of right now, I don't, I don't see anything screaming at me. Um, could it happen? I guess maybe if Sergey Ivanov plays in the VHL or whatever next season, maybe, but I doubt that's going to happen. Um, but, so far, yeah, I think it's just a 
we got lucky with goaltenders. Sometimes that happens. And I, I'm a huge fan of, of at least Wallstead and uh, Casa. We'll see. We'll have to see. So what about some teams that you really liked what they did? Ooh. Um, well, I was a really interested. I, I was a big fan of Carolina's draft. I thought they. Ah, I haven't heard this movie. Before. I know. Everybody the, loves what Carolina does. They must have plants. They must be giving you something. <laughs> they must be giving you a bunch well, of Dirk's t-shirts for every draft guy to be like, yeah, I love what Carolina does. Well, I'm a value guy. Like, I, I talk to people and tell them that scouting to me is a lot like picking stocks in the stock market. Like, you can do research on fundamentals until the cows come home. But that doesn't guarantee that you're going to find success. But if you want stable, probabilistic analysis to lead to results, then you do what the Carolina Hurricanes kind of are doing. Like if you asked me today, a tra- they offer- if Carolina or whoever calls me today and offers me Scott Morrow and Billy Koivinen in the draft, who they just picked in the draft, if they offered me those two guys and I had Zach LaRue, who was the guy that Nashville picked with the pick they acquired from Carolina – I'm taking that trade. I like Scott Morrow and Vili Koivinen more than Zach LaRue right now, just based on the value of their game right now. Could Zach LaRue become an NHL player? Yeah, he probably will. He's a good, agitating, skilled guy. But I look at Scott Morrow and Vili Koivinen as a package deal and go, both those guys were in my first round because of the value they presented as players this season. And they're both not perfect, but they need work. And so... So does so does Zach LaRue. So right there, moving back out of the first round to land two mid-second rounds, second round picks, and using them on players like Morrow and Koivinen is a no-brainer. And Alexi Hamasami is a great project to pick up. I love the Jackson Blake and Robert Orr picks in the mid-rounds. Bryce Montgomery later on. Nikita Guslistov and Joel Newstrom are really interesting late-round swings. Um and they just ran the gamut. I thought they did a really, really good job just drafting a lot of really interesting projects and really good players. Columbus had a ton of picks, and I thought they did really well. Um, Ken Johnson, Cole Sillinger, Corson Kuhlemans, and Stanislav Fazil. their first names off the board were all in my top 40. Um, Martin, Martin Rishavi and James Malatesta, I think, are interesting bets. I didn't have either of them ranked, but I have had them ranked at some point this year. I think they're curious bets. Um, Dallas, I thought, had another great year. I think they could have done better than than Wyatt Johnston at 23, but he's a wild card. You know, you, you, he didn't play this year, so he's just a wild card. I just wouldn't have picked him under my philosophy. But they picked a bunch of guys that I had ranked way higher than where they picked him, guys like Logan Stankoven and Ayrton Martino. I like the Grushnikov pick, even if it was a little bit high. Um, Justin Ertel is a great depth pickup, perhaps. perhaps. He played in a weird league. Um, Connor Roulette, I think, is a decent bet in the mid-rounds at that 111 slot where they got him. Um, Those teams, I think, did a really, really good job just getting value. And a few other teams I thought did okay, I thought Minnesota had a great day um, drafting a lot of potential upside picks, guys like Kyle Masters, Caden Bankier. Um, risks risks there with those guys. They're pretty one-dimensional in some ways, but they're good players. And their first three picks, Wallstead, Lambos, Peart, perfectly fine. I think that's a perfectly fine output for them. Um, you know, obviously the Ranger or the Islanders getting Atu Ratu, I thought oh, is a, is a no-brainer. Uh oh, you would have gotten up. You got would have gotten up with the uh, the the grinder folks. Yeah, the, I know. The, the, guys, the, folks. the the Rangers, uh, they they did okay, I guess you could say. They did pick one of my favorites in in Kali Bison, and uh, that's that's a guy who, if he's ever in a Rangers uniform, uh, could be a lot of fun to watch. But 
definitely uh, like the Sharks come to mind as a team that I really liked. Dallas, but definitely Columbus and Carolina, I thought had a heck of a weekend. The one thing I think I saw a quote from from Bill Guerin, like when it come to the second day of the draft, he's like, it's not my thing. I just let my guy who got bracket and it was like, how many NHL teams are legitimately run like that? Where the the GM is like, it's your your place. You do what you got to do. And I mean, that's the way it should be. But how many places are actually like that? I wish I could tell you. I do not know. It's it's fascinating to hear that uh, from them. Uh, okay, we have to talk because everybody's dunking on the Senators. I do want to say that Tyler Bruce was born in Haddonfield, New Jersey. It's a <laughs> very beautiful town. I like it quite a lot. Great Indian restaurant there. Big fan. They had a. I don't know if the Japanese restaurant that I liked when I was a kid is still there. And also, I do know the Cajun restaurant I really liked in Haddonfield. It's not still there, and that sucked because it was awesome. I love Cajun food. But uh, you can't. I cannot criticize South Jersey things. So I cannot do that to myself because <laughs> I love South Jersey, and everybody knows that South Jersey is great. You're criticizing the home of Carly Lloyd. You can't do that. Or, or my personal favorite, Brendan Aronson, who is the only good thing that has ever come out of Medford, New Jersey, ever. But that's irrelevant. Uh, but everybody's dunking on the Senators. And maybe that's because they have hired Pierre Maguire, so it's really easy to do it. And uh, almost nobody likes their draft. So uh, I'll give you the floor on the Senators because uh, I, I don't know anything other than uh, I read people on Twitter saying the Senators stink. Okay, so I'm going to choose my words very carefully. I, be diplomatic. Be diplomatic. I, I think the Ottawa Senators made it ex- extraordinarily clear what they're trying to be. And they, they've done it again. They, they, they do this every year in the draft, it seems. They, have, they are chasing an identity. Ever since they drafted Brady Kachuk, it seems like they've gone, all right, Brady Kachuk is the identity of this team. And the entire team needs to be Brady Kachuk-like. You know, aggressive, physical, uh, there's still skill. Like, Brady Kachuk is a good hockey player. But they want that aggressive, snarly, annoying, the sicko game, right? Like, they want that. They basically want to be a meme. It's great. They want, Yeah, they want to be a greasy team that makes you annoyed. And they find ways to beat you. And they drafted certainly at least three guys who suit that bill extremely clearly. I, I look Tyler Boucher at ten is patently ridiculous. That is insane. That is such a massive risk considering who was available. I mean, I I cannot. I've I've thought for days about how I could square that Cole Sillinger is not a better pick than Tyler Boucher at tenth overall or any number of players that are that are there at 10 that they pit that they passed on to take Tyler Boucher that pick perplexes me still but I will also say that I've seen Tyler Boucher a lot this year when he has played I think I've seen almost every one of his games and on one hand yes he's a point per game guy for the NTDP when he does play but the games he played were largely against some bad USHL teams and division three NCAA teams but he did. I did watch a game of his against the Chicago Steel, which it's just one game, but it left me thinking that if Tyler Boucher had played the entire season, he probably would be on the cusp of being a first-round talent this year, I think. There aren't very many players that are an, as much of a combination of physicality and skill and puck management uh, to me in this year's draft than, than Tyler Boucher. I'm not saying that any of those things in particular are all very high level, 
but as a combination of skills, it's up there. And if the Ottawa Senators think they can turn him into basically the new version of like Josh Anderson, which sure, if that's what you want to pitch, I am here for it. If that's what they think they're going to get, then fine, by all means, go nuts. And I like Josh Anderson as much as the next guy, but you know, even if the rumor was that the Rangers were going to pick him at 15 or 16 or whatever their pick was, I feel like that's a situation where you trade that pick back, let the Rangers pick him and pick up the scraps if someone like Cole Sillinger is available or a Matthew Coronado or whoever. Um, I really, uh, it really perplexed me, but it could work out. I mean, there is a world where Tyler Boucher becomes a good middle six, like physical skilled guy. And I can't say that that can't happen. He didn't play very much this year. It's just a huge, 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 huge risk for a team that likes to take very strange swings in the NHL draft that, may not have the same priorities as a lot of other teams. Now, Zach Ostapchuk at 39, I thought that was a reach, but I understand, again, going back to that identity they're trying to go for, I understand why they did it. He is a big, rangy, skilled, crafty playmaker for a guy his size. I don't know how much of it projects. He's pretty much a strictly up and down, skate in a straight line, participate in a rush, skate back, back check, get the puck back, turn it around, skate up the ice and do the same thing all over again kind of guy. But he does it with some flair. He's big. He can get physical. I, again, like there just seem to be going for this this identity, right? Ben Rogers, the same thing. I don't think there's very much offense to speak of in his game, but he's big and rangy and physical. I like Carson Are you Latimer. Are tired of saying those things? Uh, I mean, I, I hope not. I feel like a lot of teams were going for that kind of, of player this year. Uh, Carson Latimer and Oliver Johansson, though, I think they basically handed the keys over to some other scouts because they are skill guys. I like Oliver Johansson at 74. That's a that's a stretch to me, but he's an interesting one that I've tracked a few games of, and I think there could be a player there that has some skill and flair offensively if you're patient, and Latimer is the exact same. Um, but, I mean, Ben Roger. Chandler Romeo and Zach Stapchuk are just big guys who have some range and a bit of skill, especially a Stapchuk and Boucher. Uh, we'll see what happens. But again, like when I talk about draft analysis, it's like the bigger question isn't so much who you picked. It's who could you have picked? And again, just like last year where I felt like Ottawa could have made out like gangbusters and they came out with a solid B draft. They had uh, the opportunity to score some big wins and came out with a solid C minus draft where there's a ton of risk and a ton of weird ones. You hope it works. And they've pulled a rabbit out of their hat before. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's so crazy. If you make fun of it, it'll backfire, but it's still very strange to me. So I'll go give you a historical ask then before we start wrapping this up. It, since you think it's a very big reach, it's the biggest reach in the draft since. Uh, the biggest reach in the draft since. Well, there was some big ones last year. I mean, Yegor Chinikov in the first round last year, I think, is similar. Uh, but at least it wasn't but see, tenth here's overall. The thing. But here's the thing: Do you trust Columbus more than you trust Ottawa? And based on recent, I'm not history, answering that I th- question. <laughs> you don't want to, but I think if you're listening to this podcast and you are of the um, opinion base that most of the listeners of Why Hockey are, I think you know the answer to that question, or at least what we might think. Maybe, but I'm still not answering the question because I, I, fear, I, fear, I fear Ottawa Senators fans. 
Oh, that's um, fair. You know what? I mean, I, I give him credit. They got a brand. They embraced it. I like that. It's kind of like I'm a Jaguars fan. It's kind of what we embraced on Twitter and going after people who criticize. Like, we, you, it's, it's our trash. You, we'll criticize our trash. You stay away. <laughs> I, I get think, it. I mean, yeah, I, I, it's fair enough. I think the now that I'm thinking about it more, like especially when you weigh it by pick number and who was on the board when the player was available, I think I go back to Barrett Hayton at fifth overall to Arizona and go, yeah, I mean, it wasn't as surprising because Barrett Hayton was pretty much ubiquitously a first-round prospect, but it's up there with, with that Tyler Boucher pick. I mean, again, I do want to stress, like, I've seen Tyler Boucher enough. Like, he was at the end of my second round. I think he's a top two-round player. And I certainly think that had he had a full season, he might have worked his way into my first round for sure, uh, especially considering who I had ranked in the 20s. Um, but to pick a player in that range at 10, you know, it's to me the last example I can think of that's on the same level. And I was trying to extrapolate if Boucher had a full season to play, probably that Barrett Hayton style pick. But you know who went after him? Philip Zadina, Quinn Hughes, Adam Bogfist, Evan Bouchard, uh, Noah Dobson. Gregory you know, Denisenko. Gregory okay. Denisenko, he's up. Okay. Yeah, sure. He could be one too. Uh, but there's a lot of names that went off, went off the list after that, that I don't know, Barrett Hayton's a fine player, but I'd probably much rather have a Quinn Hughes, you know? <laughs> I think I might want to have that too. Uh, I'll, I'll now start to wrap this up because it's, we're going on uh, an hour and 30 minutes, although 10 of that was me ranting. So I'm going to take a little bit of a break. Uh, for giving myself that one because I had to do it and there will be more rants in future podcasts. I promise you that. Uh, how about uh, we start looking ahead, since I think we've covered this, next year. Presuming next year looks far more normal in terms of the junior seasons. And I think it's going to be much closer than obviously this year where things were random. Basically, where you went, it, it depended. Like this year, we're going to have something approaching a normal season mm-hmm. in most junior leagues across the world, I would think. Because we're getting to a point where the pandemic is such that if you're if they're vaccinated and most of these kids are now going to be old enough to be vaccinated, there's a good chance that they're going to be able to play a mostly full year. So I want to ask you, it's not just about Shane Wright, because he's probably going to go number one. But if you're saying next year's deeper, give people a little taster of what they can expect, uh, particularly if you are listening as a fan of the um, team that plays in Western New York. (laughs) Uh, Well, okay. I think next year's draft is going to be a real banger. Um, and just as I, the Panthers trade away their first round pick, but that's okay. They might yeah, win the draft, so I don't care. Yeah, you don't really care about that so much. But I, man, I look at this year. I look at next year and see a really strong group up at the top. I'm just trying to find my list while I kill some time. But um, it's it's it, there's a lot of really intriguing talent. I've got over. 50 names on my list already oh sorry yeah over 50 names on my list to track for next year um and i'm looking down my list i have it roughly ordered in order of like a sort of ranking and it's like the guys that i have in the 30s i'm already really excited about um you know there's a great group of ntdp guys guys like jack divine jack hughes another jack hughes um oh no i know so how are you refer to it with Jack Hughes place? I'm just I'm just confused. I mean, Jack- like Sebastian Ajo's that was great. How about I don't know maybe a Jackathy? We'll call him Jackathy Hughes. Oh, we're gonna get in trouble if we if we start doing things with Jack. <laughs> we're gonna definitely get Pretend, in trouble. Yeah, with that. someone someone will get in trouble. But I'm looking get at in trouble. I'm, you know, like I look across the board here. I mean, I love the top group of I'd say eight guys. To me, that's Shane Wright, Brad Lambert, Matthew Savoy, 
Ivan Moroshnashenko, Noah Ostland, Elias Solomonson, Danila Yurov. Those guys are all looking great. David Juracek as well. Like, that's nine. Uh, I look at other names that were really impressive to me this year, and if they take a step, guys like Yuri Slavkovsky, uh, Tyler Duke, I think Dylan Duke's brother on defense looks really exciting. Uh, who else is here? Jokub Kamel looked good at the under-18s, and I've liked him this year. Philip Bistead out in Sweden as well. Uh, oh, boy. Kirill Kudryavtsev in, in Russia. Matthias Havlid in Sweden I thought looked great at the under-18s, and he's been great with Ling Shoping this year. Uh, what else? Alexander Suzdalev. I could go on forever. Like, there's guys that I've watched this year that I'm really excited to watch next year. And uh, I, I, I hate to say that it looks like a stronger class than this past season already. You're, you can say it. It's fine. But, it's, but it, I would not be surprised to be more excited about more players with fewer question marks than those players, uh, than the players this year for next season. Um, there's a lot of really interesting players for sure. And it's one where, you know, stockpiling picks for 2022 would not be such a bad idea. Um, because, you know, 2021, I think there's the possibility that it's not so bad as people think, but 2022, I think is going to be pretty, pretty fun to watch, I think. And I have to ask this as we wrap this up, because uh, I watched some of the under 18s and Tommy was texting me about Medard and Mitchkoff and I, it's, it's not fair to compare them to anything yet because they're still two years away. And we just talked about, we shouldn't be hyping these players. But you watched them and you're going, oh boy, is this the next X, Y, or Z? But they, they have the, that, like, it comes around once in a generation that those kinds of players come around in a draft. Uh, is the hype real for you? Well, for 2023, yeah. I mean, I, I mean it, it, look, it's too early, but if we're looking at Connor Bedard and Matt B. Michkov as they are now, yeah, that's a those guys are really, 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 really good. And, you know, I love watching Connor Bedard play. He's a guy that I think just is a joy to watch play the game we love. You know, he's this he's the epitome of it, I think. He's one of the he's a brilliant player. It's 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 you watch the details in his game, you watch him manage the game around him, you watch him utilize line mates. You watch him do things individually, his ability to juggle those things on the fly, know when to draw pressure in, know how to send passes out of pressure and find open ice. Like, he's unreal. And Matvey Michkov is, you know, we'll see how his game grows and, and if he's in the KHL this season full time, which is entirely possible. Uh, we'll see how he translates right away. But I have no doubts that those two guys are going to be in the very, very top end, top end of next year's draft, of 2023. And 2022, I mean, there's already a lot of names I think that's worth getting excited about. And now as I get to start watching Olympic water polo, because it's now <laughs> the time of year where I go like, oh, right, these are all awesome sports I should have paid attention to a long time ago. And I could list like five of them. And now I'm watching Olympic water polo. Uh, and, I don't, and it's now that I couldn't talk to you for five hours about the draft. It's just that you both, we both have things we'd like to do, I guess, more than just talking about this ad nauseum. So where can people find your work if they haven't already found it, which they should have? The best places would be Twitter and YouTube. Uh, both are at Scouching, or you can go to scouching.ca and find everything there as well. If you like what I do and you want to financially support me, I have a Patreon campaign uh, at patreon.com slash scouching, or you can join my YouTube membership program uh, on any YouTube video I have by clicking join. Uh, you'll get the same perks as Patreon and everything, so uh, you can check those out. And uh, yeah, that's that's the great starting point. And I also write for McKeen'sHockey.com, so check those out as well. If I wasn't broke, I'd do it, but sadly I'm broke. That's okay. 
It's all right. I mean, I get you on this podcast, and when I get people on this podcast, I do my best in trying to say, you got to follow these people that are smarter than me. (laughs) And that's what we try to do here at Why Hockey. If if you're smarter than us, we'll get you on and we'll tell you (laughs) that you're smarter than us. Thanks again, Will. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, you too.